Welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ball Player podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us on our 131st episode of the podcast, where we get a chance to talk to Anthony Renz, new head coach at Concordia College, an assistant coach with the Major League Baseball Partner League, the Fargo Moorhead Redhawks. Coach Renz, got to know Coach Renz when he was an assistant coach at Shippensburg under Matt Jones and his time there uh, at Shippensburg um, through the 2016-2017-18, the regional in 2017 as well as PSAC tournament in 18. Uh, during his time, he had four guys that played pro ball during that time when he's at Ship. Uh, from there, he went over to Minnesota, where he was the bench coach and hitting coach at Fargo-Moorhead. Been there uh, since getting into the American Association cha- uh, Conference. They've won their first American Association Championship. And with coming off a great season at Concordia, where he was the assistant coach, hitting coach, uh, they set a record for most hits in 2022. Um, in 2023, excuse me, this this season here, uh, most conference players they've ever had in program history. And in 2022, he was actually the acting head coach as the head coach came in some health problems. Uh, and during that time, they made the conference tournament. And in 2023, they built on that, making the conference tournament and winning, um, winning, I believe, their first game in the in the conference tournament. So been, been there since 2018, and he is now getting ready to take over the program at Concordia, which we, had, well, which we will touch base about. We talked about um, and, and got into many other details uh, about not necessarily just his program, about how he's able to manage uh, also with his uh, Major League Partner League, uh, which you kind of find out that is independent baseball, indie baseball uh, is what it used to be called, but uh, Major League Baseball has done a great job of rebranding that. Sounds great as the Partner League. Yeah, but we touched base about how to how he's able to balance those things and what is what he's able to do um, and kind of still build the, the program that they're, at their building at Concordia. Uh, as you can see, that they're they're getting better, uh, that in the more time that he is there, and now that it's going to be his own, it's going to be his own program, and, and how they're going to be able to do those things, and what he's doing in the community there, and and the uh, interesting, uh, unique place that he is, and here he is, his first full time job. We get to talk about that, and um, the realities of that's, that's college baseball, and being a coach where he's now thirty years old and got his first full time job. We just talked about that, and. And I uh, just had a great conversation and get all the way down to this two-strike approach we got to talk about and um, and just really the things he's trying to do to fulfill his vision uh, for his new program. So just really want to thank him uh, for a great conversation. We haven't touched base in a while, but, man, we just felt like we had just got done talking yesterday. Uh, also want to thank our sponsors, uh, Netting Professionals. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting Pros specialize in the design, fabrication, installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, scoreboards, BB screen, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Pros continue to provide quality products and services to many recreation, high school, and college fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all the latest products and projects. So big shout out to those guys. Thank you to Anthony Renz. Here he is. Enjoy it. It's a great conversation. Head coach at Concordia College, Anthony Renz. (laughs) 
so then heading into this year, Coast had a little bit better health. But when we started the season, it was about eight games in to the Concordia season. He was just kind of like, this is going to be my last year. I'm going to strictly do the Red Hawks because he was doing manager and head coach. Um, and I said, okay. And then I, I he basically privately basically turned the reins over to me. There was no like formal announcement, but I was kind of just leading everything at practice. And I had done it the year before, so it wasn't like it was um, anything new to me. And then we, um, we had an amazing year on the field. We uh, made the conference tournament again. We won a playoff game. Uh, we broke the MIAC conference hits record that stood for about 20 years as a team. Uh, we had the most all-conference players um, in Concordia's history. So um, we had a really good run. We had a really good team, and hopefully just looking to build off of that. Good. So everything kind of culminated those last two years, I guess you could say. Yeah, so, it, yeah, it's been – it's been I've kind of been a head coach without me officially being that actual head coach, but an amazing experience. I mean, you know, even the managerial side of things for the Red Hawks to just kind of lead the team for – you know, 100 games, and then we won our first. The, the Red Hawks are storied franchise, won a ton of championships in the old Northern League, but they had never won an American Association title, which was a merger basically in the mid-2000-teens-ish. Um, so we won our first American Association title, which was which was awesome. So, yeah, a lot of experience, um, and now just officially kind of ha- finally have a head coach title next to it. Absolutely. That's awesome. Awesome. Um. How like so, and then I, I guess I guess my, my one of my things is just just thinking about this and like as you're, you know, and I and and as I was researching and going through you know just just your like where you're at and your bio and like doing the Red Hawks as well as doing a college program, like just how how you're able to manage all those things, man, <laughs> like able to bounce back and forth. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's baseball 24-7, which I'll never complain about. And, um, you know, I would say luckily the recruiting kind of things, especially I would say Division three level has, you know, a little a lot of differences between that and the Division one level, um, to even the Division two. But the way video is readily available from the scouting services that are out there, uh, you know, they, uh, we can get our hands on with the amount of videos kids send us. I'll do some in-person recruiting, obviously, during the season where I'll take a couple series off with the Red Hawks and go on the road and, and recruit a little bit um, for, for Concordia, obviously. But we'll run it through camps and stuff as well. So back when I was kind of going through playing time, you know, almost like college coaches had to see it. You know, they're, you know right. they had to be there. And um, it's not that college coaches don't have to see it now. They can just see you from miles away. Um, the, I mean, the, the powerful tool of, of Twitter is unbelievable between the uncommitted accounts that you just see and the connections that you make. It's amazing. Even in my short time as officially the head coach, the amount of referrals I've gotten from just connections that I've made over the years and the stuff I see on Twitter. I mean, um, the recruiting world is, is literally at your fingertips where that wasn't the case, obviously, when I was going through it. So it's busy, um, but, it, you know, it's manageable, especially now it's just it's back to being the assistant at, at the Red Hawks, being the manager and the head coach like Chris was. That's a lot. You know, that's a lot on somebody's shoulders. But just being an assistant somewhere and a head coach somewhere else, you know, for all the college coaches that are um, coaching at their schools and then going to co- coach college summer ball, very similar feel. Um, yeah, my college or my college summer ball is just professional baseball. So um, I kind of equated to that a little bit. Yeah, I was just thinking because I was even thinking like just this year, like how you're acquiring. I mean, I guess 
I guess the GM acquires a lot of the players. You guys don't have much of that involved, right? How much involved are you in yeah, that? Yeah, basically, you know, it's basically we actually we're one of the few um, probably partner league teams that's kind of run a certain way where we actually have like a Theo Epstein type character that goes out and gets our players. But it's a conversation between me and him and Chris and Chris himself, and um, we kind of build the roster from there. But again, that's all connections to agents sending us stuff. Chris with his connections through major league baseball and stuff, the amount of referrals he gets. So, um, you know, as, as most baseball coaches know, it's um, just, it's, it's one big family at one point, once you know somebody, they're willing to help you out, which just makes the community even, even um, probably the you know most connected group out there. In my opinion, it's a, it's an amazing group of people. Now as where the Red Hawks and Concordia you guys play at the same facility. No, so actually, the Red Hawks play at Newman Outdoor Field, which is where uh, North Dakota State baseball actually plays. Um, so it's the same stadium that they play in. And then Concordia, we have our own field. Uh, we actually just did our uh, a big project um, where we got a brand new grandstand, brand new dugouts, brand new scoreboard. That was phase one. Phase two is to turf the whole field. So we got a pretty nice yard at Concordia. And one of the reasons why the job was so attractive to me is, one, we were talented. Um, and two, we, um, you know, have the facilities to be really good in this area. Yeah. I mean, that's, I just, I was just thinking just again, sheer logistics, like trying to manage it all, you know, going back and forth to different facilities and things like that, which is, you know, again, it's another, you know, challenge that, that you would be facing trying to, trying to do right. both of those worlds. And luckily, like, it's hard for people to understand, but like Fargo Moorhead, you know, like, I mean, it's literally a river that separates us. I mean, I can be in Fargo in five minutes. Uh, I can throw a rock basically over there. So when people, when I tell people I live in Minnesota and then I'm doing the Red Hawks, they're like, well, you know, where's the difference? But it's like, no, nah, it's basically everybody kind of considers it the Fargo Moorhead area. Um, it's a big, you know, metro area, at least 250 to, you know, 275,000 people probably in this immediate area. So it's a, it's a bigger area. Most people like me, when I came out here, I was expecting like covered wagons, horse and buggies, like what's out in the park, but, uh, technology travels. There's a, there's a lot of stuff that's out here. It's a great area. So, yeah, I'm sure. Like, how has it been? Like, I mean, like most of your roots were, you know, East coast, Pennsylvania, you know, coming out to the, the Midwest, you know, like from a recruiting standpoint and trying to get into, like you said, this connection, how are you able to, to grow those, like what was something that you did to help grow your connections to get kids to come to Concordia? You know, when I, when I first actually came out here, one of the big reasons that I came out here was the manager at the time who I was going to work for with the Red Hawks was Michael Schlacht, who's now uh, the manager for the Missoula Paddleheads and a pretty prominent voice um, in baseball. And, you know, the amount of people that he knew at the time, I mean, his Rolodex of people from his playing days to now his coaching days, um, is is second and none. So that was a big part of it. And obviously working with Coast too, I really, I really struggled. I didn't want to leave Shippensburg at a time I did. We were heading to the playoffs. But um, one of the main reasons that the Fargo job was so attractive was the people that I was going to be working with. And I knew that if I could work with those people, build relationships, prove to them that I was a good coach, just like I proved to Matt Jones that I was a good coach, I could form connections off of them and kind of build it. So Ever since I've been to Concordia, you know, going to the convention, uh, networking with other conference coaches every time we every time we meet, Chris would, um, you know, fill me in as much as he could on conference um, voting and stuff or conference talk between other coaches. Um, and then obviously with the Red Hawks, you know, 
the amount of guys that I've coached that work at academies um, in the off season and refer for a player like that. We just had a series with the Chicago dogs and their third base coach, Joe Dominic hitting coach, great guy, been in the game a long time. He referred a player that he works with in the off season that could be a possible fit at Concordia. So, um, you know, every day, you know, it, it's, it's like, you never get a day off from recruiting and, and that that's true. There's obviously a grind aspect to it, but a lot of it, with the amount of people that you meet and that I've met and worked with, um, it kind of does itself just because you form good relationships and they trust you and would want you to uh, maybe have a certain player and work with them. And they trust you to do that. So I, I couldn't be more thankful for the the Midwestern hospitality that's out here and uh, kind of the network that's kind of grown from it. That's cool. That's, that's cool. And uh, I just, you know, just anywhere where you're just trying to like, it, it's, it's one thing to say like, Oh, I'm going to go, you know, go far away, you know, another thing to say, like, you know, to actually do it and be successful, be able to, you know, recruit, get to know more people, like I said, just, but just knowing here's how you kind of took the steps to kind of get where you are, you know, where you have these connections and, you know, people then, like you said, you've formed trust and people can say, all right, well, let's put this guy here. You know, that's pretty And important. I think, you know, I think too, like Minnesota for people that are out on the East coast and aren't, you know, totally aware of it. Cause I wasn't totally aware of it either was, you know, the, the passion that they have for baseball in here is really second to none. I remember my first year out here, I asked Chris, like, hey, where do our guys play college summer ball? Um, and, you know, on the East Coast, college summer ball between the Cape Cod, the Valley League, Coastal Plain, even the Prospect League. I mean, that they're, they're, you know, Northwoods obviously is out here pretty prominent. Um, but he was like, no, most of our guys don't. They play town ball. And I kind of scoffed at it originally because I was like town ball, like, where I grew up in Pennsylvania town ball was just, you know, a bunch of guys just trying to try and have fun and whatever, but Minnesota, Minnesota town ball is like, I mean, I, you know, it is as competitive as it is. These communities love it because they only get summer for so long. Oh, so true. Going to the ballpark every day. I mean, the amount of games that our guys play just for their towns and representing where they came from. And for guys at D three, I really think it helps development because they want to win. Um, not to say that other summer ball programs don't, but, I've been part of summer ball teams and seen summer ball teams. You know, if you get off to a bad start, guys start cashing it a little bit. You know, the the beach vacation kind of starts to creep in at the end of August where here in Minnesota, you got the lakes, you're playing town ball, you're representing where you came from and you want to win and win in the state tournament. So that's a big aspect of it. The Minnesota culture surrounding baseball lends itself to, to having true ball players out in this part of the country, which is which is fun to recruit and hopefully be a part of your program. Yeah, that's cool. So, uh, so just just diving in a little bit of that, like, so town ball, is it is it like college one bat, or is it just like look like the best players in the town kind of come out for that team? Yeah, it's basically you know there's like, and I'm not even like a total expert on it, but I know like Fox Sports did a whole special on Minnesota town ball uh, a couple years ago, and actually Chris was in the documentary. Chris Coast was in it talking about it because when Chris. Uh, was actually working his way back. He would actually play in Minnesota town ball um, just to stay ready. And it's like, no, it's, it's very similar setup to like high school where there's different levels. Yeah. There's the triple a and then there's double a based on the size of the town. Um, and then anybody, I don't want to say anybody and everybody can play, but for the most part, it's a lot of young college players or guys that recently graduated that just want to stay around the game and play baseball. So for the most part, you know, like our our guys at Concordia basically started their own team in Moorhead, the Moorhead Mudcats. So that's their summer ball team. Um, okay. And they're playing, um, you know, they travel all across the state and play different teams. So 
Um, some are like the Moorhead Mudcats are very college based. Um, other teams have older guys that have either played pro ball and still just want to play and, and have some fun with it. But it's a it's a pretty competitive environment and you know something that I had to adjust to because I was so used to placing guys in summer ball like hey you got to go play you got to do this. But the town ball option is so good, especially for guys at our level. Um, it really works out for for everybody involved. So will is essentially like where you can kind of keep your team together in the summer. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, it's, it's guys that we, you know, obviously in Moorhead, we have, we have several guys that are from Moorhead on our team. Um, so it's those guys that are playing locally. And then if there's any of the guys that are staying on campus for the summer, where they're working a facilities job or, or doing some work study on campus, they play uh, locally as well. So it's kind of turned into um cover baseball 2.0 uh, it's not yeah. the full roster by any means but it's basically it's it's a lot of our contributing players getting to play again and, and i i like i said as a coach i love that that's more time they get to spend together that's more time they get to learn each other um you know you play another 25 40 games in the summer with with your teammates that's only going to help your development process when we come in and get ready to get after it in the fall and head into the spring so yeah i love it guys are playing together and uh, as long as, you know, the more baseball you play, the better you'll be at it. You got to play. Um, so um, I'm always telling them to to play as much as they possibly can. And I'm sure it's just even, you know, because like, I, I tell you what's so interesting, and I'm sure you're part of this world, but like how, like I've had coaches tell me like, oh, they're, they're going to the draft league. That they're going to, they're going to start the Appy League. Like they're going to go, that's where they're recruiting, you know, uh, just because of the portal and how things have changed which that will be hard for you, especially with the Red Hawks. Like that's where you're at, you know, so do you have to rely on your staff to maybe go out more like in the summer um, in, in terms of recruiting and things like that? Yeah, definitely. We, one of the, one of my assistants is, is who the field is named after um, at Concordia college, Bucky Burgow and the amount of connections that he's made over the years. I mean, he was, there's really only been three baseball coaches now in the last, I don't know, 40 plus years at Concordia. It's been Bucky Bergal, Chris Coast, and now me. Um, wow. And Bucky's been on the staff ever since I've been here. So I've basically learned under the two guys that have you know, steered the ship. So really lean on him a lot for just advice. I mean, he's seen it all. He's um, been through everything. And, you know, for example, we had a recruit on campus yesterday. Um, and the reason he was here was because of Bucky. Um, his high school coach was uh, the kid's high school coach played at Concordia as a Cobber alum and played for Bucky. He referred him to us and, you know, 24 hours later, the kids on campus visiting Concordia, seeing what we're all about. So uh, really rely on him a ton. And, and our pitching coach as well is actually a Cobber alum and um, he's heavily involved in the process as well. So yeah, it's, it's for me, I rely on those guys locally because um, even though I've been out here for six years, I'll never be able to catch up to them in terms of experience that they have in the area and, and the relationships they've formed. But um, I've done a good job, at least locally, with youth stuff, um, working Moorhead Youth Baseball, Fargo Youth Baseball, uh, a lot of good connections there. And, and like I said, there's a lot of good players in this immediate area. So if we can pluck one or two kids in the Fargo-Moorhead area, we're always going to be in on kids from small town Minnesota that are playing uh, baseball um, and you know, full-time almost and love it. So I uh, really rely on those guys to have the connections that they have and kind of use them to get better, more kids and, right. and better players. And you, when you talk about like well, working youth baseball, you're talking like, you know, like you'll do clinics or camps or things like that, or are you just talk about recruiting wise into like the youth? No. So, I mean, you know, I, you know, you know, full disclosure, I mean, 
my, this is my first full-time job uh, yeah. in baseball. You know, I, you know, I remember when Jonesy brought me on at Shippensburg, he told me about his grind and what he had to do in order to do it. And I thought, I won't do that. You know, I'll just, I'll get my master's after Shippensburg and I'll hop right into this thing, a full-time job benefits. And here I am at 30 years old, finally getting my first full-time job. Um, so there, but I think the grind makes you better. You got to embrace the grind. Um, and I wouldn't change anything for it. So part of that grind, you know, I was an assistant at Concordia, small stipend pay. Red Hawks isn't a, a full-time position by any means. You know, that's basically you get paid in season. So my off seasons were camps. I mean, Moorhead Youth Baseball, the amount of camps I ran there, the grind that I went through, the lessons that I'd done um, in Fargo at, at a facility called the Ball Yard uh, for Mike Skogan, working for Fargo Youth Baseball and Alex Sumner. I mean, I, in terms of camps, I've done it. Um, I learned it, I learned it uh, under uh, Harry Hilson at Mansfield. He ran camps like nobody's business. And um, I had to do it for a living. So I think when you do that for a living, you have an appreciation for what people in youth baseball do on a consistent basis, because at the end of the day, those are the kids that are going to be in your program when they're 16, 17, eight years, 18 years old. Um, and, you know, for me, I, 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 you know, really cherish my time in youth baseball and use those connections um, all the time to, to kind of, you know, even now get Concordia's brand out there because it's it's obviously out there in the immediate area and the connections I have in youth baseball should lend itself to, you know, hopefully getting players in the future from those programs. Mm-hmm. I just love it. The, the grind definitely makes you better, you know? Yeah. For sure. Like, um, how, how much, like, especially just with your community, you know, I'm just thinking if it goes hand in hand, like, do you have is Concordia in the community? Is that something that's part of your program or something you foresee in the future that you want to do? Yeah, no, absolutely. We we're kind of already pretty prominent. Um, you know, our field, you know, pretty much every night, every night of the summer so far, I, I live, I can walk to the field and get there in about 10 minutes. You know, it's, a, awesome. it's a dog walk away. So I, I'm always around it. And every night that I, uh, you know, take the dog for a walk, there's games being played on our field by youth teams around the area, which is, not only awesome for the youth teams to get out there, but amazing recruiting tool for us, um, especially now with the new project underway and, and phase one completed. So um, yeah, we're, we're out there in Moorhead. People know us, um, the, the two kids, there's two former players that I coach at Concordia that are basically the head coach and the assistant coach for the Moorhead Legion team now, uh, which has a storied history, um, the Moorhead blues um, two former players are doing that. So um, if there's baseball in the Moorhead area, odds are a cobber is involved one way or the other, which I don't think anybody would want to have it any other way. Oh, like, like it, like it. That's cool. I was just wondering, like, so as, as you taking on this new role, right? Like you're now, you know, head coach, first full-time job, like, um, you know, what's the vision, how much of what you've done at other places, you know, has, has really like going to help you define what you want to do at Concordia. Yeah. For me, you know, I, I just really want to build off of the last two years of momentum that we, that we kind of have built um, and the players have built. And I make sure the players understand that it's their program. Um, sure. Um, every coach, um, every head coach, every assistant, you're quote unquote running the program, but um, I really believe that, you know, the best programs in all of college baseball and just sports in general are player driven. The coaches hopefully can put the guardrails up and, and, and put them in the right direction. But the players, 
you know, I, I jokingly say to a lot of people, players win games, coaches lose them. Um, you know, if you're not comfortable with that as a coach, um, it's going to be a tough, tough sled for you, I think. And even though that might not always be true, right? I mean, the players around the field, they're affecting the game, but you need to bear responsibility when things don't go wrong and prop them up when they do go right. Um, and I think, you know, at Concordia, I just, I want us to just continue to be a, a, a kind of driving force in the Mayak conference in the last two years. Um, we've been top four. Um, and, you know, the first year where I was acting head coach, we um, basically were two and done in the tournament. Um, I thought we could get to the tournament that year. I thought that was our, where our goal should have been. And we did that. Um, and this last year, I thought we could win it. And we won the first game and lost a three, nothing game to a Bethel team. That's incredibly well coached and incredibly talented. Uh, we gave them a good fight. We, we didn't, we didn't catch a break along the way. They, they just beat us. Um, but you know, there you are, you're, you know, you're a couple runs away from being in the conference championship. Um, and Concordia, I don't think has won the conference since I think Chris coast was in school um, when they mm. had the big league running around. So for me, it's just kind of building the momentum and winning as many games as possible, but also just running a, a good program where the guys after college are, are set up for success because I am in the pro ball world. Um, but, you know, the amount of guys that get the opportunity to play pro ball, even at the highest level. I mean, I know there's everybody thinks that they're going to have that opportunity. Everybody thinks they're going to get drafted. Um, and if you're noticing, if you're keeping tabs on things, everything's getting a little bit shorter. We're down to 20 rounds now. Um, you know, the, the draft league spots are few and far between. It's tough to get drafted. It, they're, they're making it to a point where maybe uh, independent ball or partner league baseball is your avenue. But even guy, for guys like at our level, you know, they're going to be professionals in a lot of different other areas than baseball. So for me, it's for four years while someone's on campus at Concordia, especially a baseball player, I want them every four years to feel like, you know, they're involved in the World Series because at the end of the day, it really is for them. Um, because when baseball ends, there's a lot of tears at the end of the day because they know they might have played their final game. And hopefully we're just a, a small bright spot along that that journey throughout their college career. Uh, and what are some things that you feel like are enhancing that experience? Yeah, I think I think our I think just the way our, you know, how our togetherness is, you know, second to none. I mean, we really have just a close knit group and it, it co coincides with what we talked about earlier with the town ball team. Obviously, you know, guys playing more and more together, but. Um, the baseball team, you know, you know, we break down our, you know, our, our huddles, it's Cobber baseball family. Um, and there's been some, um, you know, up and downs with the program. Uh, there was a, a student, Eli Johnson, before I got there, who lost his life to suicide. And I think that really uh, helped the program come together um, in that aspect of it. And that's why Cobber baseball has that family um, tradition tied to it. Um, it's a rich history. And I think the way our guys just, work together, want to win together. But also I tell them all the time, not only do we want to win together, but you want to be with a group of guys that you can lose with too. Um, you know, if you go to bed at night and you lost a game and it's a tough one, you lose to Bethel in the conference tournament, you shouldn't lose any sleepover with the guys that are around you. Cause you know, every guy that was um, out on that field and in that dugout was pulling 100% from the first pitch to the last out. So um, that togetherness is is really been second to none. It's just something hoping I just continue to kind of drive the vehicle for a little bit and take the reins from Coast and Bucky and uh, build off of that in future years. What are some like ways that you feel like 
you could do that. Like, or like if, if a coach wants to get more together with their team, they want to be more connected. Like what were ways that to do that? Yeah. I think as much as, you know, with, with college, you know, even if it's high school level college, you know, the amount of stuff that you can do outside of baseball, oftentimes is way more important than what you do on the field. You know, there's an aspect of grind in college baseball. You know, you're coming to the, you're coming to practice every day. You know, you're working hard. You're in the weight room. It's not easy. Um, if you want to be good at it, it's especially hard. You know, all the teams that just punched their ticket to Omaha. I mean, their season, they probably feel like, holy cow, we're getting to the tail end. But really, it's just starting. Now you got to find that second wind and kind of compete. But anything you can do outside of baseball, you know, we every year do a suicide prevention walk, uh, mainly, you know, from the student that um, Eli uh, that passed away several years ago. We do that team building exercise. It's a heavy day. But, you know, when you go through that and go through a, an event like that, that's something that, um, you know, is is really second to none. Supporting other athletics on campus, going to the women's basketball uh, games. Our women's basketball program is unbelievable this year, lost in the conference championship. Our guys are got their face painted in the front row screaming like maniacs, um, you know, stuff like that, because they should want to come to practice to begin with as long as the environment's good. Um, so you have that going for you as a coach. You know, if, if they don't want to come to practice, that's probably a bad sign that, um, you know, things aren't going in the right direction and you, you probably got to reassess where you're at, but they'll build off of the times on the, on, you know, in practice and stuff, but the bus rides are everybody's memory the the Florida trip that we take every year. Sure. We go to Florida, win some games and play baseball, but they're going to remember going to the beach on the off day way more than they're going to remember the seventh inning of the second double header down in Florida. Um, and that's just the reality of it. You know, in the professional side of things that I work with, it's, you got to win. Like every night is we got to win this game and winning and losing dictates everything. I'm sure you're going to build memories that way too, but college is a lot more about the experience at times. Uh, winning is a part of it. I've made that clear to our guys, you know, uh, if you want a good experience, winning often will help that experience, but anything you can do outside of, of baseball practice, whether it's going to an event, supporting athletics, uh, long bus rides, those go a long way in building that camaraderie that I kind of mentioned before. Nice. Yeah. Just, I just was, um, could agree more, honestly, even just with the experience. And I loved like your caveat of like, kids should want to come to practice as long as the environment is good, you know, and you've created that environment, which is, you know, I, I could tell something that, you know, you're, it, it's important to you, you know, if yeah. you wouldn't have gave that caveat, you know, so like thinking about how are you creating that environment, you know, like just, um, that kids want to come to practice. Yeah, for practice for us, you know, especially and I'm speaking for most people in the Midwest here, you know, we're not getting outside until Florida. <laughs> so, you know, you're talking about you got four weeks of practice, basically a month of practice where um, you're not getting outside. Nobody's getting a fly ball. You're not taking BP outside, you're not taking a ground ball. You're in a gym, you know, by week two, you're stir crazy. So what can <laughs> you do to make practice fun? You know, I mean, it's that's our biggest thing. And for us, what I always do is I just turn up the competition. Um, we draft teams. I love doing that. I pick two guys. We pick teams. Then we're off the machine hitting Marv training balls and we're turning that thing up every level. If you hit it fair, you're in. If you hit a foul swing and miss, you're out. And that environment is is way more beneficial. Um, sure, there's a development side of it. Um, you know, I want them to you know, sometimes fail at practice, you know, you need to fail, 
Um, it doesn't mean practice needs to be a grind to a point where you're failing every day. We fail enough on the field. Um, I think sometimes we got a little crazy at that in baseball where it was like, Hey, we got to come to practice and we got to fail. It's like, I, I don't know. I think if we take, you know, 10 fungos today and we catch them all, that's pretty good too. Like we can, <laughs> we can have success. Um, so I, I think, you know, that environment of, especially in a gym atmosphere, you know, coming to practice, doing rundowns in the gym and telling the base runners, you're not, you're not allowed to get, don't get, don't let anybody tag you. Um, mm-hmm. Try to keep it as crazy as you can and, and have that fun element um, because that's a part of it too. Um, most of the time we're going to be serious and, you know, we're trying to focus on getting better, but we're also going to have to have that balance of let's have a little bit of fun today. Let's let our hair down and, and do some different things to keep the guy's energy up uh, throughout that time, at least for us in, in the gym. So like what, how have, how creative, how have you because uh, you mentioned a couple of things with rundown, but like how else, how, how creative have you gotten in the gym? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the one thing we've done um, and we, you know, we've kind of always done it is like conditioning, you know, like at the end of the day, we'll, we'll condition. And what our guys will do is they'll just play like a game of like ultimate Frisbee. So like, you know, maybe two days in a row, they'll do their conditioning, run light, do some sprint work, um, do a do a run around the track like a like a cobber run is what we call where the guy in the back leads to the front and everybody kind of tails in but then one day they just get the football out or get the ultimate frisbee out and conditioning is just you know 10 on 10 ultimate frisbee which for baseball guys you know especially my pitchers i got pitchers you know they think they're like multi-sport athletes like i can hit i can (laughs) just play ultimate frisbee have some fun with it um and then like i said on the baseball side of things most of the time it involves competition um, it involves separating the guys into groups um, and having that competitive atmosphere and they have fun with it, trash talk. Um, that's what makes it fun. They, they enjoy that. And I think that, like I said, sure, it, it, it helps development because uh, you're putting that competitive juices um, to work, but um, it helps your morale way more than that. Will you take your teams like throughout like a week or throughout the off season and they'll have like a winner at the end? Or is it just like a daily thing that you're just mixing up teams? It's almost like, yeah, it's basically like a daily thing. Like we don't have like a progressively long thing to where someone does it. But you know, one of the things I'd like to change uh, just a little bit as basically a head coach, and you're always trying to, you know, make things different in one way or the other. But for me, it's always like, I want guys to understand that practice matters um and we have a great story of a kid this past year Caden Gelstrom who was um uh honorable mention all conference uh, he'll probably be our starting center fielder and leadoff hitter in the rest of his career but after his freshman year you were like I'm not sure where this kid will be you know maybe a, you know he he can run a little bit he's got some tools but we'll see and he dominated practice from February 1 to Florida every time he got in the cage for a live at bat he hit something hard the Rapsodo was off the charts you know, he's, he was doing so well. So then every time when there was basically where I decide who gets an extra at bat, I was giving it to Chelly um, to show him I'm watching and it matters. And then to show the other guys like, Hey, this matters. Like he's earned this. It's not because he got a hit his last time. It's because every at bat is good. Even when he strikes out, it's good. Um, So that, that just, added incentive to guys to see like practice matters because like I said in a gym practice can get very um you know boring it can get it can get overwhelming it can get it can wear you down it's the same thing so anytime that you can show that it matters um I think it only helps motivate the guys to perform at a little bit higher level
Cool. Yeah. But like I said, the, the reward is that. The reward is like here, like you, you're seeing it, you know. And I, will mm -hmm. you, um, you know, Chuja, I guess what else? I'm thinking of like at the end of practice, you're breaking it down as you're reflecting. Is that something that you will highlight towards those kind of like team talks and as you break down practice? Yeah, kind of. And one of the phrases that we use, and we kind of use it jokingly, uh, and, and really actually two that come to mind, and we use it at the Red Hawks too, which is even more of a joke because it's just funny and it kind of lightens the mood for professionals because, again, that's a grind, is every day is a tryout. You know, it's 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 so coach cliche that it's that it's funny. Um, but we kind of embrace it a little bit. It's like, you know, every day you're evaluated. I tell our guys every day, especially at Concordia, you know, how you how you talk to your teammates, how you interact with your coaches, how you talk with fellow athletes, how you walked into practice, how you leave practice. Everything is evaluated. And oftentimes those things, those things might even matter more than what you do in the cage. We got good players. If we take 10 rounds of BP that day, our players are going to look good in nine out of 10 rounds. So everybody's the same. But how else did you operate throughout the day um, between your interactions with your teammates, between your work ethic? Did you did you jog from infield station to uh, the batting cage or just slowly walk and, and you know, uh, not have any sense of urgency? Uh, it doesn't mean you got to be running around with your hair on fire all the time, but everything you do matters. Um, and, we, and we preach that. And then one of the things that we – one of my favorite sayings that I picked up with the Red Hawks, we had a pitcher um, that I use in, in both Concordia and the Red Hawks. We had a pitcher, Matt Tomshaw, uh, pitched AAA for a lot of years. He was our best pitcher in 2021. Um, but he had a he had a phrase where in 2020 we were uh, – it was a COVID season, shortened season, so we were releasing guys trying to find the right thing. And, and you know, if, if guys were – one a couple guys got released and they were good clubhouse guys, but there was no performance aspect to it. And obviously in professional baseball, there's a performance aspect for it. And Tom Shaw just said in the dugout to me one day, you got to perform. Um, and it kind of just stuck with me. Um, and that's something I try to tell our college guys too is, you know, you can earn an opportunity, but you do in fact have to perform. You know, you have to play hard. Uh, but if you're not playing hard, I already have doubts about you. You got to play good too. Like that, that is part of it. Um, and that pressure um, hopefully is embraced by the athlete and your best players often do embrace that. But um, at the end of the day, we have to perform. You have to be good. You know, we're not trying to lose games. We're trying to win them. So if that performance slips, hopefully someone else's opportunity arises and that person takes advantage of that. And that's all you can ask for as a coach is that if somebody does fail, Hopefully there's another guy that's ready to kind of compete right after him and he can take the reins. And then at the end of the day, maybe that guy that struggled initially bounces back after seeing what happened to the guy behind him. And we had that happen several times at Concordia where a senior lost his spot a little bit, then he got another opportunity and he hit 400 the rest of the way. Mm. Um, that's what, that's what makes coaching awesome and makes you proud because then all the guys are ready to contribute um, whenever their number's called. So like in an, Part of this, it sounds like practicing, developing those kind of things, you know, uh, is important. Do you, um, I was just thinking, like, how you may practice even more competitive. Like you said, you just try to compete more. Do you bring that out? Do you bring that into your practices of, like when you get outside? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, the competitive atmosphere never, um, never kind of changes. You know, we're always doing, you know, for college, there's a lot of live AB simulated at-bats. Um, so we're always doing that inter-squad stuff, you know, like every other 
team in the country. We're doing a, a World Series type thing in the fall where we got an inner squad, we got a maroon and gold team, so stuff like that. But that's just playing the game. But then from the offensive side of things, you know, in the cage, I call it elimination is the game that I talked about where you hit a farrier in, you hit a foul swing and miss your out. You only get one pitch. Um, I love that. I've done that with youth kids. They love that. Um, so yeah, just stuff like that. And, and for pitchers, you know, we'll, we'll kind of chart things and be like, Hey, you know, let's make sure that we're throwing this percentage of strikes. And if you're not, you know, then you're down on the list and maybe you have 10 pushups and the guy next to you has got nine small things. It doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be, um, anything crazy or extreme, but I, I think if you create competition, um, with their, with their particular skill set in mind, I think that's how they, they develop. Um, if you just tell guys, Hey, the hardest hit ball wins, well, there's no real presence. They're taking a big swing that doesn't translate to the game. I want them to focus on what their skill set is and then use that in competition. Um, and then the last thing I've always done too, is reward, uh, I did this my first year at Concordia reward BP. So like there was a, the dinger club. If a guy hit a home run, you got a bonus round at the end of the day. So any guy that put one over the fence at the end, I would call in the dinger club. They come in and they take an extra round of BP on the field. Um, and then we kind of have a little bit of a home run derby at the end. So, and sometimes I won't even tell them that we're doing it. Um, I'll just kind of keep track as I'm watching behind the cage and throwing BP, like, okay, he hit one, he hit one. And then I'll yell, anybody who hit a homer, come back. So that way all the guys that are out, <laughs> out in the field uh, can uh, try to hit homers uh, the next day they come out here. So that's another way to kind of have fun with it. That's cool. Can you, uh, I want to elaborate. I want to get dive into that hard hit ball, what you just said about like, you know, uh, just the, 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 the details of like, don't just say just hit a hard ball, just hit the ball hard, but you right. say with inner skill set, can you elaborate more on that of what you say? Like, so is that, you know, big power hitter, like hitting the ball hard means over the fence, but you're essentially like that center fielder burner guy is going to be hitting the ball here. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a great thing. Cause you know, in baseball, you know, I think college sometimes, you know, you have so many kids, so you're, you're kind of teaching everything in one shot, but everybody is still an individual and they all do things differently. Mm -hmm. um, and this past year, you know, we set the, the Mayak hits record, but we didn't have a ton of power. We didn't hit the ball over the fence. Um, so our, our leadoff guy, for example, Jake Christensen, our starting second baseman for him, uh, when I tell him to hit the ball hard, I want to line drive over the shortstop's head, almost like Freddie Freeman BP. If anybody's ever seen Freddie Freeman take BP, that's Jake's BP. Just backspin the ball over the shortstop. Sure. He's going to hit a double every once in a while, but for the most part, he's going to go line to line and hit the ball hard for our four hitter, Isaac Howe, our first baseman. I've already talked to him this summer about trying to catch the ball a little bit more out in front, just get a little bit more natural launch to the ball. That way we can try to drive the ball. You know, is he going to hit 15 home runs next year? Probably not, but he's probably going to hit 400. And if we can get double digit doubles out of him, I mean, that's going to end up, you know, translating to a, to a higher OPS, which probably is going to lead into more runs. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, that's one of my core, I would say core principles when it comes to hitting, got to hit the ball hard. Um, I, I need you to square the ball up as often as you can. The harder we hit it, the defense has less time to react to it. Um, you know, and, and at our level, Division Three, in a way, uh, baseball is kind of in a time machine. You know, sure, certainly teams that hit the ball over the fence are going to win more games, but the power isn't readily available one through nine. You know, I'm watching Stanford, Texas last night, and the guys that are going up to the plate for those for those teams, they look like transformers. I mean, yep. they're, they're, they're like pro athletes. You know, we don't have that type of athlete. So a hard single for us or, you know, 
a hard single and bunting a guy to second. We got to do that sometimes to manufacture runs. But um, oftentimes I just tell our guys, if we can, you know, lead the league in exit velocity, um, as long as we're not hitting the ball straight down, which you're probably not going to do because that's never been taught really at any, any stage of, of baseball. Uh, if we hit the ball hard, defense has less time to react. We put pressure on the defense. Um, those singles that turn into doubles win the occasional home run, but pressure on the defense is always good from the offensive side of the ball. Okay. Yeah. So just to, just to, just to clarify them, just to review then hitting the ball hard as you're talking about like part of your group, like you're looking at line drives, like, so let's say, say we're in the cage and you're talking about hitting the ball hard. Um, you know, one group is like essentially trying to hit the ball off the L screen. The other one's trying to basically hit the one a little bit above the L screen. Yeah. So I, the one, the one thing that I use, especially, you know, in a cage, I'll always tell our guys to hit that, try to hit that line drive above the L screen, try to mm -hmm. get it above. That basically is a line drive over the infield. Uh, mm -hmm. So maybe get underneath it a little bit. It's a double. If you get on top, it's a hard ground ball. But the visual that I always use, um, you know, on the field is we want to knock down the batter's eye. I want to hit the hardest ball possible through the middle of the field. If I have my direction and I'm hitting the ball through the middle of the field, then if my timing is thrown off, which for the majority of our lives as hitters, our timing is going to be thrown off. That's the job of the pitcher. The pitcher is designed to throw you off your timing. That's why they throw fastballs. That's why they throw curveballs. That's why they throw different locations. But if we can stay with a good direction through the middle of the field, then when our timing's off and I catch it a little bit out in front, maybe I shoot the ball down the line. If I'm a little bit late, shoot that ball on the right. But I want to do damage gap to gap. Um, and like I said, when I say do damage for our guys, hit a double. Hit a double. That's mm -hmm. damage. That works for us. We're not going to hit. We're not going to hit 100 home runs in a season. Um, not only from a power perspective, but a weather perspective. It's tough to hit homers in Minnesota right. <laughs> in, in March. So hit a double. Uh, if we catch it good, it's a homer. But if we lead the country in doubles, sign me up. I would sign that paper right now if you gave it to me. So stay through the middle of the field, knock down the batter's eye, um, and drive that ball right back up the middle. Cool. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, just like uh, like I said, I love the just this year. Like again, the the individual approach, like you talked about, I really like that. You know, and then because hitting the ball hard, we hear that a lot. You know, and it is like to be more specific with certain guys. Will you actually group guys? Like so, within your BP sessions, will you actually group guys based on their skill set? Yeah, sometimes I I I group BP. You know, sometimes based on the lineup uh, for a lot of it, but. A lot of it is skill set oriented, whether the players know that or not, or it's also a competitive thing. Um, you know, our two most competitive guys that have played their whole lives together, our first baseman, Isaac Howe, I talked about Moorhead kid, um, and our shortstop base, um, Tommy Horan, also Moorhead kid. When I put those two guys in a group together, it's on. Uh, every swing, you know, if, if one of the guys rolls over, the other guy's chirping behind the cage, which I love. Um, Gotta love it. it because then batting practice matters. So some mm -hmm. of it is competitive base, but oftentimes it is like the skill set of the guys. Um, and also though, during the season, like it'll be the lineup. And then there's that, we only have about a half hour to hit before a game. Then there's that group of reserves. And I want that group of reserves to know that they're close to getting in there. So those five guys, that batting practice matters too. Um, and I try to tell that, and we preach it during the games that, you know, not only does everything matter, every run matters, um, you got to have that attention to detail if you want to if you want to have success because the minute that you get lackadaisical in your approach or your work ethic, that's when you know you start to lose games and you fall behind. So if we can just keep that edge um, as much as we can, there are going to be days where you're flat, and it's part of the deal. Um, mm -hmm. You're not, you know, when you, I, you know, 
I think a lot of times, you know, we forget, you know, if, if you play your best baseball, if you play a clean game and 100% efficiency, you should win that game every day. But you're not going to have the 100% efficiency game every single day. Win the games where you're 70% efficient or 65% efficient. Those are the teams that end up winning games for a longer stretch of time. The teams that are going to Omaha, uh, you know, they can win a game for nothing or they can beat you at 13 to 12. Uh, be well-rounded. You should be. Uh, you should have a team that uh, no matter the situation, you feel confident that, hey, if we can win a slugfest or if we got a safety squeeze to walk this game off, we're going to do that too. have every tool in the in the tool chest. But, um, you know, that's just part about being a complete and really talented team. Mm, that's good. Um, I, my next, uh, I guess my thing was about with hard hit balls and, and that's a, like a foundational thing for you. Will you track it? Do you yeah. track it? Do you chart it? Uh, how do you just to think about that creating that competition, you know, but like uh, or even accountability of it? Right. So the, the Red Hawks is actually outfitted with Rapsodo in the stadium, but we have like the the, the units as well. Um, so I bring those over to Concordia. Um, awesome. And to be honest, the, and all the college coaches are going to love this. The main reason I did it is because every time you do live ABs in the cage, the pitchers think they throw perfect games and the hitters think they hit homers every time the ball hits the top of the cage. So the main thing Rap Soto did was it gave me like, that was a ground out. Like you, <laughs> it's not a base hit. You ground it out. And then a pitcher, when it was like, Oh, that's a fly out. I'd be like, no, that went 420 feet. You know? So <laughs> it gave us it, one thing technology did was it gave us the ability to, like you said, track it. Like, like yeah. now I can show you where, where it did. But yeah, then I what I would start to do is before live ABs, I would just have the Rapsodo unit set up for BP, have the iPad behind um, behind the cage, and when guys were hitting, we could obviously see it. Um, you know, and that's where you know that's where technology is is awesome. Um, you know, launch angle, exit velocity, they're buzzwords. They oftentimes create um, you know vicious debate about what's more important. But at the end of the day, technology just made our lives easier. Um, you know, you could watch Barry Bonds take BP and you're like, wow, he gets under the ball a ton. He gets the ball in the air. And now you just have something to identify it with. And that's where I think it goes a long way. And I also think having the Soto in the cage for BP makes those guys just turn their focus up a little bit because now they want to hit the ball hard. Now they want to see that 100 exit velocity. Whereas if they're just taking monotonous BP over and over again, you kind of lose your edge. You lose that, what I talked about earlier, you're just taking swings to take swings rather than having that um, focused effort um, and focused aggression behind it. So I love those things. The Rapsodo, no different from pitching and a radar gun to show guys, Hey, this is what you're throwing. I need you to throw this. I mean, um, everybody's chasing velocity and, and even exit velocity for that matter. So uh, we do track it. And uh, like I said, mainly it, it provided clarity for the guys that thought they were Nolan Ryan on the mound and thought they were Shohei Otani in the dish. So that's the one thing I loved about it. So I, I try to use that as much as we can. Yeah, that's solid. So you're basically tracking just exit velocity then as you're trying to say like, let's, let's, let's be the best. Let's average the highest exit velocity. Yeah. And, and, you know, especially with like launch angle, like, you know, yeah. In, in major league baseball and even high level college baseball, you're talking about guys that are searching for, you know, 20 degrees all the way up to 40 degrees. But at our level, you know, 40 degrees of launch, nobody's hitting a home run. Kyle Schwarber is going to hit a home run at 40 degrees of launch, but that's Kyle Schwarber. I don't mm -hmm. have Kyle Schwarber. I, oh, I wish I did, but I don't. Um, so I really, I really talk about our guys 15 degrees to 30 degrees. 15 degrees is kind of that low line drive through the infield. 
30 degrees is about that max of where a division three kid that if he gets it a little bit higher than that, you're going to see a fly out. So that range, I basically, um, you're talking L screen and above. And, and like I said, that knock down that batter's eye approach. So um, launch angle is part of it. But again, like I said, eggs of velocity, um, you know, it's just proven that, you know, the harder you hit it, the better chance you have to get a hit. Um, you know, no guy is going to hit um, or average 100 eggs of velocity for a season and not hit very well. Eventually it'll leave an out. The game will um, adjust back to it. So let's uh, let's barrel the baseball, be consistent with the barrel, because that'll in the long run help us out to win games um, and score some runs. How are you helping train? So like the thing that part of like, let's kind of let's say hitting philosophy and doing these things. How are you helping train the guy to have a higher exit velocity? Yeah, I think we, we do, you know, and, and we've done a variety of things. We do hit a ton of machine. Um, and I think machine work is great. Um, I, I really love it. Um, one, it, it, it just replicates in-game stuff mm-hmm. as much as, and, 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 and every day the machine uh, will change. You know, there'll be days where I want them to really dominate it. I want them to feel good when they leave the cage. Um, and then there's going to be days where I want them to kind of realize, okay, now I got to, now I got to turn it up a little bit. Um, even so with breaking ball work, like, you know, so much of, of breaking ball work to me is training yourself to hit the bad breaking ball. We don't want to hit the good breaking ball. Like if Justin Verlander throws a good curveball, we're not going to hit it no matter what. So why are we going to train to hit that one? I want to hit the one where he gets under it a little bit and now it's over the zone. So when we do breaking ball work, sure, there's times where I got it set up on a nasty slider and I want him to compete. But then there's times where I got it on the, the hanging breaking ball, because at our level, if we can hit that one, I want them to be able to pull the trigger on that. Um, and then other stuff is just like weighted bat work. You know, weighted bat work is just um, it's easy stuff to do. It trains not only strength, but um, you got to have good posture to swing a heavy bat and translate that into swinging your bat. So anything that we can do to just kind of change things up. We also hit uh, we hit those plyo balls from driveline uh, mm-hmm. through front toss and stuff, which I love. Cause again, it, it forces the player to swing it like a man, like you better get it there and you better have a strong barrel through the zone. Um, so just minor stuff like that. It's not anything uh, state of the art. I'm not making them stand on one leg or, or use one arm oftentimes or do stuff blindfolded, but um, it's just uh, repetitive practice uh, of stuff that's game related. And again, hopefully it translates And this year for our offense, breaking the hits record, uh, it certainly did that. Uh, we could really swing it, um, and uh, we had fun doing it. That's great. Yeah. So, yeah, it speaks for itself. You know what I mean? Like I said, I remember you saying that you hit the, uh, broke the hits record and all, and, yeah. and do you, f- and you feel, you know, just a testament to just being able to consistently uh, – cause that, let's, let's talk about that too. So, like, you talk about consistently getting the barrel in the ball, you know, which is more of, like, barrel control, barrel accuracy – how are you help training that as well? Because you know, one guy can get in there and swing as hard as they want and try to get their exit velocity up. There's another guy that can consistently get the barrel on the wall. Yeah, sometimes like with flips, one of the drills I love to do is actually I throw like two baseballs. Um, and for the most part, I actually always tell them to hit the bottom ball. So I'll, I'll, I'll flip it in a way where both balls are, you know, are, are hopefully you know, coming in vertically together and the, the ball underneath. And I want them to work underneath the top ball and then find the barrel on the bottom one and kind of create that, just that little bit of natural launch in their swing a little bit. If that's the phrase you want to use, they're not hitting mm-hmm. underneath it as much, but getting underneath the ball. So, um, you know, the other thing we, we do, and we've, we've even done it at the Red Hawk level too, is like 
you know, I, I don't even know what, I don't know if we even have a term to call, but like uh, basically reward batting practice and then kick you out of the cage if you don't hit it good. So if you have a round of four, for example, and it's just standard BP, I might tell you the only way you stay for the second pitch is if you barrel it. Don't worry about the result. I don't care if it's a ground ball. I don't care if it's a fly ball, but if it's barreled, you stay for the second one. If you miss hit it, if you get underneath it, if you hit the turtle or you pop it up and you don't hit it good, you're out of the cage. You only get one swing. And that kind of allows batting practice, which again can be monotonous. Um, it can be boring at times. It puts a value to each swing. Um, and that's what I really strive to do as kind of a hitting coach, especially at the college level, is that I want every swing to matter. Um, are they all going to matter the same amount? No. Uh, certainly not. And, and I don't, I'm not unrealistic in thinking that it will, but I want them that every time they take a swing, there's intent, there's purpose. Um, and hopefully that translates in the game. And like I said, this year it did. I thought one of the things that made us a good offense is our, our ability to compete with two strikes. Like we would just foul balls off. And even times as I was coaching third this year, I was like, man, this pitcher has got to be like getting annoyed at some point. Like you can just tell like over time, it's like, I can't get these guys to even put it in play and make it out. And then all of a sudden you bloop one in next guy hits a double and now you got second and third and you're wondering, man, I had that guy two strikes. So um, once we get the two strikes, um, compete. And I mean, that's, that's really what it is. I scream it from the, uh, third base coaching box all the time. I'll just, I'll just yell out the word compete, just compete for us right here. That's all I want. Um, if you give us a good effort, um, no matter what it is, um, even if you ground out or making out, sometimes that five pitch, six pitch at bat, that matters more over the course of an inning than actually getting a hit. So, um, that competitive atmosphere with every swing and, um, that we take, I think really translates in the game. Love it. Super cool. Do you, uh, and speaking of that, with like two strike approach, with the two strikes, how do you feel like, was that something that was trained? Like you, like, uh, how, how do you train that two strike approach for them to be that competitive and found balls off of two strikes? Yeah, I think some of it is that BP that I was talking about where like, if they don't hit it good, they get out of the cage. So uh -huh. later on in the count, you know, at the end of the day, when you get to two strikes, you're really trying to just put a good swing on something and, and throw the barrel at it. So if they're working on in batting practice, finding the barrel as consistently can, they should be comfortable even no matter when they get the two strikes. Um, you know, and, and some of that is just working that into, into BP and, um, you know, doing two strike accounts or full count, um, full count swings. Hey, it's three, two right here. Here's a hit and run. Anything you can do to, to kind of simulate that. I need to try to put a good swing on a pitch that maybe I don't have control of. Cause that's really what hitting with two strikes is. It's you're at the Liberty of what's being thrown. Um, you know, when you got the first pitch or you're ahead in the count, sometimes it starts to get predictable Uh two strikes. It's unpredictable for a hitter. Um, that's what makes it tough. That's why everybody's batting average plummets because the pitcher can throw whatever he wants. And with the uptick in velocity in today's game, you know, um, you always got to be ready for the fastball, but guys can spin it better than ever than, than ever before. So the unpredictability of a two strike count, that's where you got to rely on your trained habits and hopefully your swing just allows you to be competitive. And sometimes we often say it like some of the hardest hit balls or farthest balls you hit are with two strikes. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's simplified. It's just, I got to see it. I got to hit it. And I'm not worried about uh, anything else other than that. And uh, simple oftentimes in our game, uh, you know, works a lot more uh, efficient than anything else. Very, very good. I, like, I just like, yeah, I like even the, 
simple things in cage. Like I said, it, it's just, I think the simple things that everyone does, if we can do them better, you know, and right. think about the cage stuff, you know, like you're getting 10 or 12 swings. If everybody's getting nice 10 or 12 swings, what does ours look like that will, like you said, make, have a value on each of those swings? Yeah. How much does yeah, that change during the season for you, coach? Go, go ahead. How, does, how much does that change for you, like in season? Um, you know, as you kind of going through this, you know, going through, you know, guys are up and down, guys are moving, like how, you know, don't get it done. You're out of the cage kind of deal. Like how does that, how does that fluctuate in the season? Yeah. Some of, some of the stuff like in season, and I really struggled with this through my playing career is I was a guy that thought I had to swing every day. Um, I felt like if I didn't swing, I was then unprepared or if I didn't get BP, then I couldn't be good. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's hard to convince college hitters, this, uh, pro hitters, they have a better understanding how their body feels, how their swing feels. Um, when a guy's going good for the Red Hawks, I might not see him in the cage for pregame work. They might just take BP on the field or they might just take a round of flips in the cage and they're ready to rock for the game. For college hitters, they have a little bit more anxiety towards that. Um, so for me, it's sometimes during a season, especially this year's team, for example, we, we led the league in hits and, and we hit a ton, but um, there were days we just took totally off. You know, I just we wouldn't like it, whether it was a we played a game or doubleheader the day before or, um, you know, we uh, had a good practice the day before. The next day, we're not going to swing a bat um, and kind of get them away from it. And then when it gets back in, it, it kind of has that uh, re-energizing effect of like, OK, now I'm back in here. Now my focus is back to it. Um, you know, those the, the famous phrase of those who hit often hit often. Um, I think that holds true. You've got to swing the bat a, a, a lot, but there is times to let your body and mind just get a little bit away from it, um, have a little bit more of a maintenance day, a couple rounds of flips, and that's it, um, because it is such a grind. And even with the success that you will have, you're going to have way more failure. Um, that's part of the deal. So anytime you can kind of get away from it, uh, maybe just take flips in the cage or don't take on-field BP. You just hit in the cage rather than letting you see the ball flight just changes the focus and the intent a little bit. And I think that's good because it keeps it fresh every time they step in the box. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all depending, you know, you just know how much the game is mental and, oh yeah, you know, and how, you know, you're trying to work on never making everything swing better. Cause that's always my thing. You know, it's like how, how much do you just keep on pushing, you know, uh, and then when to pull back. Yeah, it's the balance. It's it's always a tough one because and, and honestly, this year's team, what's funny about this year's team at Concordia, like prior to our conference season starting, we were underwhelming offensively to a degree that I, I didn't even know was possible because I knew we were going to be good. Like I was like, we are going to be good and we're going to be able to swing the bat. And we weren't. Um, so I was like, OK, so do you start as a coach? Do you doubt everything you did in the preseason? It's like, did I did we do too much machine work? Did we? not do enough of this, enough of that. And then over time, you know, we had, um, we lost the first two games of our conference season to Gustavus, who's an excellent program, really good. Um, and then after that, we, it was on. And, it, you know, whether it was losing two games that fired them up or that one at bat or that one hit that just kind of turned it for everybody. And all of a sudden it was like, every time we played a conference game, it was like 10, 11 runs, 12 runs, 13 runs. And that's, that's uncommon in our conference. And, uh, so I think just sticking to what you believe in, as long as it's if it's not radical beliefs or anything outside of the box, as long as it's a consistent approach, you got to let it you got to let it play out. And oftentimes in baseball, we overreact to small sample sizes. Um, you got to let these guys play and, and, and let them fail because those failures 
even though at the times they feel like the weight of the world's on your chest, they're actually, it's actually helping them more develop than, than you can really see with the naked eye. Dude, just wrapping things up, man. I think we're here. We are over an hour into it, man. I was just wondering, you know, if there's, you know, anything, you know, that we maybe haven't covered, anything you're looking forward to, maybe being a head coach, you know, thinking about right now, you've already kind of put on the head coach cap. Not, not that you haven't been, but it's truly for sure yours. You know, you're not acting anymore. Um, you know, and how that preparation has been different knowing you're the guy is, is your program and could like, like last year where you were still just acting like what was the difference there? Yeah. I think you, you actually said it um, in your question is that it's yours now. Like it, it's yours. And I think I'm sure if there's any head coaches that are listening to this or there's any assistant coaches that want to be a head coach, that feeling of when you, you get uh, the program in your hands you get that call of like, Hey, we're going to, it's your job to have, uh, is an amazing feeling, especially because of the grind aspect. Like you work so hard. Um, you know, I have higher aspirations, um, uh, just like anybody, you know, you, you, maybe you want to manage in the big leagues or you want to be the head coach at the university of Texas, whatever the case may be, whatever your dreams are, you might not be there yet. Um, uh, but now you have something that's yours. Now my name's to this, um, uh, the wins and losses go on my record. It's easy to win games when it's technically going on someone else's record and you're just kind of in the background. But, um, you know, it, it's it's nice to have something that's mine. I can I can put, um, you know, my flavor on things, my spin on things. Um, and I think what makes me uh, comforting at all is that I think my guys know at Concordia that nothing's really going to change. I'm still going to be me. I'm just now the head coach. Um, so that dynamic player relationship coach might change a little bit, you know, as an assistant coach, you're always kind of the good cop, you know, players yeah. come to you and you're like, you're, you're always propping them up. Hey, trust me. He believes in your head coach believes in you. Now I'm the head coach. Now there's probably going to be some of that good, bad or good cop, bad cop routine a little bit more often. But I think you said it, I think, you know, just proud of, of, you know, the work that I put into, and even though it's a, a head coaching job at a D3 school in, in Midwestern United States. For me right now, it's game seven of the World Series. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, this is I need to be totally in on right now. Uh, you know, 10 years from now, if I'm somewhere else doing something else, then that becomes the World Series for me. So um, be where your feet are. Um, you know, it, it, you can dream and it's good to dream, but you need to also be present with, with where you're at. And I think for me, just having having my name attached to things and, and again, being lucky enough to lead such a proud program. I, I couldn't be more thrilled for, for the future of, of not only my career, but of Concordia baseball. Huge shout out to coach Renz. Just love the conversation. Just love the whole first full circle. We went there from talking about his program, balancing what he does in the summer with his, um, with the with the Red Hawks as well as then going into Concordia, the starting days of what they're trying to do to fulfill the vision, and then getting down deep and get diving through the details of his hitting philosophy with hitting the ball hard, his two strike approach, how they kind of went about setting their program record for most hits. Uh, just a really fun conversation, and as we wrapped it all up there with just him fulfilling uh, that vision and for him talking about. Um, 
what he loves there about Concordia and wrapping the things up about his program. Just a just a really good conversation. Really enjoyed it. Took a took a good bit of notes. Really loved the details of hard hit balls and distinguishing between those two and, and just kind of how he brings the individual out uh, of those. I really enjoyed that because you do you hear a hit just oh, I hit the ball hard consistently and like well let, let, he dives in thicker through that. Um, you know, I think that's that. There's definitely some things that can people can take from those th- those conversations. Um, it's a conversation about two strike approach, as well as just you know him setting the standards and what they're trying to do within their program and their team, and and building those things and especially building it around the community. Uh, love the uh, the unique thing about town ball and and talking about that and just how I think the lesson of embracing those things that are unique around certain areas and and what they're doing. And I think that is a Hats off to him for adapting those things and understanding that. And, you know, when you get into a situation and, and trusting those things, and uh, it, it just it's, – that was a great conversation. Love to, love to learn uh, – learn, learning more about the old town ball and, and that situation there in Minnesota. So that was really cool. So uh, big shout-out to Coach Renz. Again, uh, follow him on Twitter. Um, you know, look him up Concordia College. Uh, you find all those things about the coppers. Uh, it's super cool. And um, just a great guy, um, you know, going to be sure continuing with a lot of success there at Concordia as well as the Red Hawks. So until next time, keep getting better.